0: I'm Cameron DeVazier.
1: and I'm Mark Howard
0: and this is Talking Points. We are on the 8th lesson of our Isaiah study on uh, the we first are. quarter of 2021. It's been a great rich study thus far and one thing that's unique about this week's lesson study is that it covers drum roll please a one chapter, chapter, one single chapter, Isaiah chapter 40. Now previously we've uh, last week we looked at a narrative overarching storyline which was nice. Before that we've seen mm-hmm. Um, multiple chapters, up to, I think, 12, 15, if I'm mm-hmm. mistaken, in one shot. So this one is going to be simple in its structure. Uh, in fact, I don't want to go too, on, too long on about this. Why don't you give us a brief overview of sure. our well, context? Perhaps of what
1: this is limited to one chapter because it's a transition point in the, in the prophecies of Isaiah. Okay. And most scholars recognize it. Isaiah begins to shift gears here now. A little bit of background history from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary, uh, their comments on Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, they say, in many ways, chapters 40 to 66... Mean, chapter 40, verse 1. What did I say?
0: No, no, chapter 1. Chapter, pers-
1: chapter 40, verse 1. You're right. Okay, good. You're go right. Pardon me. Um, so the SDA Bible Commentary comments on Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. There you go. In many ways, chapters 40 to 66 constitute the most important part of Isaiah's prophecy. Pronouncements of judgment and doom are largely in the past... And the remainder of the book deals with promises of the outpouring of God's grace upon the righteous. It is largely chapters forty to sixty-six that have earned for Isaiah the name of gospel prophet.
0: That's true. If you had just read up to this point, you'd be like, "Where
1: is the?" <laughs> it's like this is a tough book so far. In the earlier part of the book, well, we've talked talked about this, though. Even so, even the, even so, interspersed throughout oh, yeah. all it's those not vitamins, like it's
0: binary like that. There's but a lot of promises. There's definitely a shift in emphasis here. Right? Sure
1: uh... continues now uh... in the earlier part of the book isaiah proclaims a message of rebuke now he says before them one of comfort and hope the previous section deals largely with the unrighteousness of the people this with the righteousness of god mm. chapters one through thirty nine are concerned largely with the success of the enemy and drawing God's people away from their high ideals chapters forty to sixty six with the lord's success in drawing israel back to its ideal position as the light and hope of the world so there's a transition a shift here mm-hmm. and. Chapter 40 launches us into that.
0: Thus the title, Comfort My People.
1: Yes, okay. in fact, um, Go ahead. Sunday's lesson paragraph 4 uh, makes this point. Now, we're, we're looking at chapter 40, and the quarterly last paragraph on Sunday's page says, Isaiah 39 serves as a transition to the following chapters by predicting a Babylonian captivity at least for some of Hezekiah's descendants. Furthermore, the oracles of Isaiah 13, 14, and 21 predict the fall of Babylon and the liberty this would bring to God's people. Of course, we already have people who have been taken captive by Assyria, right. but there's also the prediction of the, the coming, coming
0: Babylon. Babylonian. Right. Right. And so this seems to sit in that pe- position of, you know, they've heard the judgments, they've actually seen them start to come, but there's now light at the other end of the tunnel. That well, let's,
1: that. let's just be clear. Like, what sense does it make? If you're sitting by... A, a, a cabana on a sunny beach sipping a Mai Tai, well, you know, virgin. A virgin, whatever <laughs> the thing
0: is. Some sparkly And somebody's drink.
1: like, yeah. hey, be comforted. Yeah. Like, I am. The
0: message know? of comfort so is to th- people who are not comfortable. That's yet. right. Yeah. And
1: so the context is one like they need this message of comfort.
0: There you go. Well, before we get into our talking points and the dis- yes. uh, uh, distinction and studying through them each, let's start with a word of prayer and yes. then we'll go over those one by one. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day to worship you and to live it all and to study your word. And Lord, in these passages, which were written so long ago, we find such practical and relevant um, ministry to our souls now. So bless us as we study, bless us as we commune together, and send your Holy Spirit to bless us, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. So our talking points that we've drawn out of this week's lesson are first and foremost, Blessed are those who mourn. We've drawn that from Sunday and Monday um, of the quarterly. Now, um, kind of ironically, number two... Our talking point number two is that the scriptures are our only safeguard, and we've really not drawn that out of the lesson. As a bonus this week, well, you draw it. Well, exactly,
0: I, I, exactly. Because last week we made this whole point about there are there are things right. in the scripture that are that are. We didn't draw it out of the quarterly. Exactly. So the quarterly doesn't explicitly bring this up, but the material the quarterly the goes does. over in the Bible definitely has this theme in it about the importance of scripture and the enduring right. power of the word of God. But
1: anyway. and then finally. Um, our work is not yet finished. That's mm. our last talking point, and we've drawn that from Tuesday through Thursday's lesson. Of course, Friday acts as a summary and okay. what have you. So that's those are our talking points. Blessed are those who mourn. The scriptures are our only safeguard, and our work is not yet finished.
0: Fair enough. Okay, let's dive in now to uh, talking point number one. Blessed are those who mourn.
1: What well, is- it's the lesson comfort... My people, you know, Mm -hmm. the concept of that and behold your God and all of that. Um, I don't know where our viewers are. I've heard a lot of discussion on these things and mostly positive. But sometimes we we've already talked about this when we're dealing with the judgments of God, even as in the comment that you made. It's like the earlier part of Isaiah may sound real harsh and mean. And that's the way we tend to like Mm. if it talks judgment, there's no love in it. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing God does that doesn't have love in it Mm. because he is love. And so, when it comes to the idea of comfort, the context is that he has just uh, uh, reproved and rebuked them and and, and punished them for their sins, Mm -hmm. and now he is bringing the comfort. And we might ask the question, why did he rebuke them in the first place? And, of course, my mind goes to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who... Mourn, Mm -hmm. for they shall be comforted. And the whole concept, he's talking about the spiritual comfort, the whole concept is that when we, um, only when we see our need of Christ can we appreciate Mm -hmm. Christ. And so in the context here, uh, it's interesting in the passage. So we start there, Isaiah chapter 40. Why don't you read there, Isaiah 40. Read right through verse 5. Yeah, okay.
0: Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says, the, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken.
1: Now, most of our viewers, I think, when you hear these words, your mind probably goes to the New Testament. That's right. Because these words are applied to the ministry of John the Baptist. And it's interesting, the language here, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight away in the desert. Valleys exalted, mountains brought low, crooked places made straight. The imagery is actually, oh, and and rough places made smooth. The imagery is actually very literal Mm. that when a king would come through an area or any important official in Bible times, they would smooth the road out. And, you know, you don't have paved highways, (laughs) and so you had to fill in potholes. The valleys had to Mm -hmm. be brought up, the mountains, the high parts had to be brought low, and everything had to be leveled out. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible is taking this imagery and ironically, or maybe not so ironically, using it to apply forward to the work of, well... The work of God John here, the Baptist, yeah. But then we know the work of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. Well, in fact, we gotta- Luke
0: chapter 3, and I'll start with verse 3, and he went, and uh, this speaking of John the Baptist, of course, he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, comma... As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. And then it quotes what we just read in Isaiah chapter 40 there. And so the point you're trying to make is that whenever John the Baptist was preaching, he was fulfilling this prophecy of Isaiah, which of course Isaiah would have had speaking to his original audience, but there's a prophetic element here. John the Baptist is that voice crying in the wilderness, and what is his goal in crying out? It's to bring the people to repentance and baptism from the remission of sins. So clearly he and, understood... And
1: what's interesting is it says in Luke, he's preaching a baptism of repentance as it is written. Well, I read in here, I was like, where is repentance? repentance? I don't here, see it yeah. talks about speaking comfort. But that's the point, is it gives us clarity that this the spiritual flattening of the application road. Yeah, exactly. of smoothing the road out... That's what repentance does. Repentance takes the person who's high or low, rich or poor, puts them all on the same level. We are all sinners in need of the saving grace of Christ. Mm. So it puts you on that same level. And if you don't receive it, if I don't receive it, mm-hmm. I'm not ready to receive Christ. So well, to prepare yeah. the way for prepare Christ... Prepare the heart for the reception. That's exactly right. Now
0: think about this, Pastor Howard. I think this is fascinating. Luke chapter 3, when the yes. prophecy of Isaiah is found as fulfillment in John the Baptist, Right. right. Verse 7, the very next verse says, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath, yeah. therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And so he, his message, prophetically, is supposed to be a message of comfort. Right. But what does he say to them? He's calling out their sins. He's dealing with them straightly. He, he's having a message that's unfiltered, Right. And and I'm thinking also of, for instance, uh, Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, his message is scathing. It's built on by But the people were cut to the heart, it says. But what Mm -hmm. happened? They repented, they're baptized, and they're ready for the reception of the Lord.
1: Well, to your point... There's never a place in the Bible where the gospel wasn't accompanied by a call to repentance. Exactly. The two go hand in hand because the one prepares the way for the other. That's the whole point
0: of this passage. Well, how many times today do we see people preach a comforting message and yeah. they take out all the difficult straight <laughs> parts and they think that's comforting when the reality right. is the comfort comes from knowing the truth anyway. I think
1: we've shared in a previous uh, uh, talking point the statement from Great Controversy where it says that the tendency of the modern pulpit is to strain out the divine justice yes. from the divine benevolence or love it's like we'll preach about love but not about justice right. and then anyway same concept here so it's interesting when you go to Luke chapter 7 and Jesus is giving a pre-eulogy if you will to John the Baptist he's in prison languishing mm-hmm. in prison where he's going to be beheaded and Jesus knows that it says in verse 29 that when jesus finishes up in fact i'll start in verse 28 jesus says for i say to you among those born of women there is not a greater prophet than john the baptist but he was least in the kingdom of, of of god is greater than he and when all the people heard him even the tax collectors justified god which we uh, we don't usually talk about justifying god but just mm-hmm. declaring somebody right right that god was right in sending john the baptist notice justify god having been baptized with the baptism of John, verse 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So notice that those who received the call Mm -hmm. to repentance from John, the way was prepared for them to receive Christ, but those who didn't receive John didn't receive Christ. And that's, Mm -hmm. again, Isaiah 40 is talking about preparing, making the way, plain to receive the Lord right. and that comfort comes to those who mourn over their sins that was what Jesus was so again, the, Sermon on the, Mount. the Sermon
0: on the Mount the idea of blessed and you brought up the point like those who um, who don't mourn are not blessed that the blessing yes. comes in the reception of the truth and allowing the Lord to do his
1: work so sometimes the, there's a tendency to think that proclaiming the love of God ex, ex, it, it excludes preaching against sin and that kind of thing, God forbid we separate the law from the gospel or the Mm. preaching of repentance from the gospel because the one prepares the way for the other. So uh, that moves us into talking point number two, and that is the scriptures are our only safeguard. Now, we said this is a bonus. It isn't (laughs) in the quarterly doesn't outline that. But it's
0: squarely in the passage. Right.
1: If you just want to continue right where we were. Sure, starting with verse verse six, six,
0: seven and eight. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever.
1: So, I couldn't, when I read through the passage, I couldn't pass that up. In the, in the very context, it's as if the Lord's trying to say that of all the transitory things of life, when I say something, now he's speaking through his prophet here. Mm-hmm. So part of this is that his word is coming through his prophet mm-hmm. and he's promising them comfort. He's promising them hope. Well, what does a promise of comfort and hope do from an untrustworthy person? Like if a person's a liar <laughs> yeah. and they promise me something. Big uh, th- deal. So God's trying to say that just as my judgments have been trustworthy and steadfast and you can not avert, so my promises of comfort and hope and deliverance the word of the Lord shall stand forever, and mm-hmm. isn't that, you know, from a Christian perspective? I mean, that's where our ho- like the word of God anchors us, and it doesn't matter what anything else says. We know that God can be trusted. Amen. And so, the it, and and especially in the times that we're living in, I think of a statement from uh, uh, Great Controversy where it says on page five ninety five. But God will have a people upon the earth to maintain mm-hmm. the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines mm-hmm. and the basis of all reforms, the opinions of learned men, the deductions of science, the creeds, and their decisions of ecclesiastical councils, as numerous and discordant as yes, they, they are as yeah. the churches which they represent, the voice of the majority, which is mm-hmm. not one, nor all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith before accepting any doctrine or precept we should demand a plain thus saith the Lord in its support mm. because we know the word of God is trustworthy amen and there's another statement here that I think uh, why don't you share what it says there from Desire sure. of Ages
0: Desire of Ages 7, 6, uh, 671, 671 says there is comfort and peace in the truth but no real peace or comfort can be found in falsehood now you think about the logic of that it might in the, in sound good. the message good. of
1: Isaiah, comfort right. my people. Like,
0: how's God going to bring that out? How about? do you comfort? Right. And so you'd think, oh, just saying a smooth thing is the what No, no, no. People want the truth. That brings comfort. She goes That's on. Right. It is through false theories and traditions that Satan gains his power over the mind. Through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to the mind and impresses truth upon the heart. Thus, he exposes error and expels it from the soul. It is by the spirit of truth working through the word of God that Christ subdues his chosen people to himself.
1: So she talks about the comfort that's brought by the truth and then ties that to the scriptures, the word of God. And this is exactly what this passage, God brings comfort to the hearts of his people through his promises that are in his trustworthy word. Mm -hmm. And we can depend on that word. And without that word, we have theories and opinions. Right. We have nothing. And, and this world Lord's is nothing
0: if not full of theories and opinions and speculative things, but have right. uh, the standard that does not blow away. That's so it's great. not
1: by accident that he puts that there right as he launches into what he's like. And that moves us into this last little segment and much of what the chapter is. You know, comfort my people. And then he comes into verse 9 and says, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O you, Jerusalem, who you bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say to the city of Judah, Behold your God behold the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and so now you're moving into God you know in his steadfastness of the word of God stands forever um, tell what this is what god is like and it begins mm-hmm. to enumerate things
0: right and it basically is lifting listing out all of the it's rhetorical lisp and it's a lot yes. of, it, it's well written it reminds me of job right. whenever the lord starts describing himself were you there were you, can you, you <laughs> and, and now here isaiah is talking about the the power of god and the 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 sovereignty of god the wisdom of god but and it all he talks this, about him leading him.
1: his people like a shepherd so right. you get this tenderness and what have you but then he talks about how he Weighs the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance, and it just talks about his mighty power as creator. Mm -hmm. So you got the power of God. And then verses 13 and 14, you know, who's directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? Who instructed him? In other words, you can't instruct God. He knows everything. everything, He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, yet he's kind in general. He's sovereign because it says... In verse 15, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and counted as small dust in the scales. Like, his kingdom is the all-powerful, the everlasting And planet. kind of
0: the upshot is verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or right. well, what likeness will you compare him? It's like you're trying to, and this is speaking to an idolatrous you know, right. a, area of time in the world's history. And he's like, you, you, you sticks and stones and, and gold and, are you kidding me? Yes. It's incomparable. I think the lesson even mentions that word, right? That It's yes. incomparable. You can't compare him. Verse 25, to whom then shall you liken me? Or to whom... High equal it says, basically, Godish through Isaiah is talking about the the qualities and characteristics, the character of God That's right. in, in His wisdom, in His power, in His care is so unlike anything else. It can't be compared. That's right. It, it, it is in a league of its own. And
1: yet and yet people don't understand it. And that's mm. that's the whole like so he's proclaiming that. Right. And then it's it's interesting that you had taught you brought up the idea of idolatry. Like it says to whom shall you liken me? And then he talks about the workman who molds an image and, so and you're like, yeah, those heathen people. But we have to remember that at this time God's own people had begun to Mm. draw some of these practices into their own faith, and what began to happen is, and the lesson, in fact, the lesson says on Thursday, the very first paragraph, idolatry destroys a unique, intimate relationship with God by replacing Him with something else. In other words, what these idols represented, mm. and, and I think of, I always think of the Greek gods, you know, Zeus and Apollo, and all these stories that you know, that, that are a fantasy of these gods, you know, and like I've asked people, what are the Greek gods like? What do you mean? What are they like? What what are they like? They're like us. They get angry like us, and they have adulterous affairs, and they have the all okay, You know, they kill each other, and it, So, it's so. This is an understatement. I don't know how to say it. It's so unlike who God is, and so this proclamation that comes here in Isaiah 40. God is for the benefit of his people and the nations beyond proclaiming this stark difference mm. so much so, and this is why I'm having a hard time with it, it's just like, to whom shall you liken? Like, yeah. what, you, how, what comparison can you even draw? Like, God is so much more loving and mighty and all-knowing in all the attributes of God.
0: And even, and you know, I'm thinking of, and this is a little off topic, yes. a slightly bit, but you know, in, in Adventist history, we have the Kellogg um, apostasy, where he was, r- wrote the Living Temple, and in it, he was trying to describe God too closely, right? And he would yes. like say, you know, God is like the vapor. God is like this. And Mrs. White writes this rebuke: is like you cannot compare God to the things that He has made. That's it right. Automatically, no matter how big of an idea exactly you think, right. it lowers the God, and it will it will lower your estimation of Him and make Him
1: something less than He is. Well, I think back when, when the Lesson Quarterly was talking about interpretation of scripture and stuff, I think we talked about some of this, that if we could explain every detail about God, he wouldn't be God. He, would, he certainly yeah. wouldn't be divine, because the whole idea is he defies human ability right. to explain. That's what, like, you know, and some people say, I don't believe in God because it's just too far-fetched. You know, in other words, there are things I can't explain. Mm-hmm. That is some of the evidence that he right. is higher than us. Yeah. Um, anyway... Um, the lesson, uh, one of the things it brings out in Friday, is this quote. This great quote, Prophets and Kings, page three eleven, says, "In Isaiah's day, the spiritual understanding of mankind was dark through misapprehension of God. That is a misunderstanding, and that's that's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Long had Satan sought to lead men to look upon their Creator as the author of sin and suffering and death. And these are some of the attributes you find in these false gods and and mm-hmm. uh, heathen mm-hmm. gods." "...they regarded him as watching to denounce and condemn, unwilling to receive the sinner so long as there was a legal excuse for not helping him." Think about the heathen Mercy. gods in the worship yeah. where you like you had to appease the god, and even Get then... Get just right, god, exactly. Right. And these kinds of things are superimposed upon the god of heaven. This is what she's saying. "...the law of love by which heaven is ruled had been misrepresented by the arch-deceiver as a restriction upon men's happiness, a burdensome yoke from which they should be glad to escape." He declared that its precepts could not be obeyed, and that the penalties of transgression were bestowed arbitrarily. So the the devil tried to put these things on God, and one of the ways he was most successful is through false worship mm-hmm. and give this distortion of who God, what God was like. And so uh, the quarterly makes this asks this question on Tuesday, very first question, and, and it, the title gives it away, The Birth of Evangelism. What kind of event is described in Isaiah 49-11? through 11?
0: Well, Isaiah 49-11, through 11, just to repeat, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. And behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young.
1: So look at the language there. Now, and a lot of times I've heard people comment on it, we read on it. Behold your God. Let's just all behold in. Bask in the love of God, mm-hmm. etc. Et That's not what the passage is saying. You know, and, and what I mean from that is the basking point is like, I'm just taking it in for me.
0: Yeah, you're not, not just meditating thinking on about it it, personally. it for me, yeah.
1: and oh, he loves me so much. Amen. But what it says is, uh, ironically... Um, or not so much, mm-hmm. as I've said before. O Zion, you who bring good tidings.
0: Mm-hmm. And not, good tidings not, not, is another... not you who receive this good That's tidings. right. Because rece- they were supposed to receive it in those first eight verses. But now That's it's right. like, now that you got this, now you've got to be a giver. Right.
1: right. You bring good tidings. And good tidings is just another expression for the gospel. gospel. That's mm-hmm. what gospel good means. News. Good news, good tidings. Notice, get up into the high mountains. Why? Because you mm-hmm. want to get somewhere where you can shout it out and everybody right. can hear it. O Jerusalem, you who bring, bring good, good tidings, brains. lift up your voice with strength. Why? You know, and I think of the loud voice, the three angels' the loud messages cry, given man, with, yeah. right? So this is, you know, the question is asked, what kind of event? And again, the chapter, the, the t- heading for Tuesday is the birth of evangelism. Yeah, this is this a is soul winning evangelistic effort, right? So this is why our talking point with all this, is like so far we've talked about Behold your God, God's so awesome, he's powerful, he's kind, loving, gentle. Why is the talking point, our work is not yet finished? Because it's not just to bask in the love of God. We're to Mm -hmm. proclaim that which we know about God. Mm -hmm. The the image of God has been distorted, and God's people are called to stand up and get on the high mountain and lift up your voice with strength. And and, and it says, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Mm -hmm. Um, I think of a, a revelation where it exactly, says, that's exactly the what spirit thinking. and the bride say come and let him who hears say come. come. And I can't tell you how many, but I've ad- taught classes and I've asked people and I've leave that out. Mm-hmm. Say, like, The spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears
0: and people and everybody's say, like, come. come.
1: No, it says that's say come. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. We're to repeat that invitation. Exactly. This is exactly what this is speaking to. So this
0: is clearly a call to a gospel um, to commission. To the will. everlasting go out and gospel. Tell it. That's right. Now, Let's dig just in a few couple of minutes left here when it says, behold your God. Yes. Because obviously they're not just to behold of themselves. They're to say to people, go, That's behold right. your God. How do people behold their God? I mean, do we want to jump right into this statement here from Christ Object Lessons? or Are sure. we going to talk about it? Because when I hear that phrase, I, I think back to this statement. You'll find it on page 452. Are we going to talk about it? I'm guessing we're going to talk <laughs> about it either way. Colossians 4. Not Colossians, Christ Christ Object Lessons, page 415. She writes, Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, Behold your God. And by the way, this is not just an aside for this. This is our direct commentary on Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. Are to say to the people, Behold your God. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. Now, an important and, and, distinction and here... Thus
1: far, I mean, that's that's what we're seeing in this chapter, this proclamation, this revelation, and who's God, and who you like him to, and he's a... you know, all this stuff.
0: Right. But there's a... It's not just a proclamation or a declaration. It's a revelation of the character of God. Yes. A, a, a char, revelation of his character of love. Right. And then she further explains, the children of God are to manifest his glory mm-hmm. in their own life and character they are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. Pastor Howard, I think there is too much Mm. theoretical gospel being preached in our churches. A lot of like, oh, don't look to me, look to the Word. Or look to Jesus, which of course we should look to Jesus. Of course we should study the Word. What people need to do, what the people need is to see the Word lived out and see that it Mm -hmm. actually has power to change lives, that there's a a capacity in it that's more than just theory. It's practical. And... Mrs. White directly makes that application. The people who are comforted need to, in turn, share that testimony, share that good news with other
1: people that, friends, hey, this is not co- just on paper. The comfort of God is not just a feeling that we get. Yes. It's a transformation yes. of the of experiencing the presence of God. You don't experience the presence of God and not End up changed. Well, think about all the
0: things they listed off. He's this creator. He's this. Well, I can't see that. I can't even comprehend that here. But let me show you what it's like in daily living. Absolutely. By God's grace, you know? So it's not a haughty kind of like, look at me. I'm like, but as we lead people, they're going to see Christ in you. Mm-hmm. And according to paul that 's the hope of glory. I,
1: I still remember an illustration that one preacher gave where he 's like, "If I came in this room and I was all rump my clothes are all rumpled up, and I was like yeah i 'm sorry, I just I was crossing the road and got hit by a Mack truck, but here I am, <laughs> you know you 'd be like you're ridiculous, you know that you 'd never believe it and he said the point the reason you 'd never believe it is you know nobody would have an encounter with something that big and powerful and remain the same mm. And then, of course, the point was that we got people like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but nothing's changed in my life. I'm not transformed. You can't come in contact with the kind of God described here (laughs) and not be different. And be the
0: same old, same old. Yeah, exactly right.
1: And so, yeah, this brings us kind of full circle where it's talking about comforting the people and then preparing the way to receive the Lord. That preparation that takes place Part of that preparation is leading to repentance and acceptance of the gospel, and part of that preparation is that transformation that comes by embracing the gospel.
0: Amen. Well, our concluding thought there on Friday's lesson, our our contributor here has, has summarized nicely saying, through Isaiah, God brought comfort to those who had been suffering. Their time of trouble had ended and God was returning to them. Rather than being discouraged and confused, they could trust God to use his creative power on their behalf. So God had not given up on his people. He's going to change them.
1: Absolutely. And we're going to see more of that as we launch into this whole new section of Isaiah.
0: Amen. Well, why don't you give us a closing word of prayer?
1: Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, Father, we thank you for your word that endures forever, Mm. that we can trust its promises as well as its threatenings. And Lord, we thank you for those things that you do to lead us to repentance. And we thank you, Lord, that when we're led there, there's that promise of comfort and mercy and transformation. Father, I just pray that you'll help us to believe in your word more fully and to proclaim it with that conviction and power and that our own lives would bear witness to the mm-hmm. truths we profess to believe. We ask for this uh for Cameron and I as we're leading out and to all of our viewers, be they um students or teachers. Uh, that we all would be a part of helping the world behold the God that they maybe have never met to this point, and that they would be saved in your kingdom. We all would be saved in your kingdom. We thank you for hearing and answering, for we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.